Hey guys, what's going on? David Avalon here for another edition of the Breaking the Guard podcast with your hosts, me and Robert Drysdale. In today's episode, we talk about why we fight, what are the reasons for competition. And we start off by talking about some topical news with Gordon Ryan having two opponents pulled out of a competition with him, first Rodolfo Vieira and then Herbert Santos. And neither of them really came out with an excuse. So I found it interesting and uh, perplexing as how somebody would pass up the opportunity to compete with someone like Gordon, who's a double champion. Uh, back in my day, I would have salivated for that opportunity, let alone to get paid to do it. So we, we talk about that a little bit. And then we go down uh, competition and the various reasons why people compete, whether it's for money, whether it's for pride, whether it's just for self-worth and improving themselves and i uh, we we both talk about our mindsets going into competition uh both robert and i i talk about a color scheme that i use to help warm up and we go into good depth about talking about warm-ups and then you know as we do we go down different rabbit holes so it's an enjoyable conversation that i think will be very enlightening for people who particularly are concerned with competing and just in general dealing with stress management and accountability so go ahead and give it a listen, and I hope you enjoy. Before we get started, I'd like to thank one of our sponsors, which is FFACoach.com. FFA Coach stands for Freestyle Fighting Academy, which is my martial arts academy in South Florida. We opened back in November 2001. So as of now, this is going to be almost 18 years. Not almost, it is 18 years since we opened. So uh, anyhow... The FFA Coach is essentially our online membership site where we show videos from our gym, uh, class footage, techniques, sparring sessions, competition videos where permissible. So you'll get to experience what it's like to be at my gym without being there. So it's the best thing or the next closest thing to training with me in a private lesson or in class is doing it online through FFA Coach. Because not only do we have these videos of, like I said, class footage, competition, technique breakdowns, we also host our monthly curriculums there. So whereas most membership sites are just like a smorgasbord of different techniques that you have to try to figure out how to piece a game together, at FFA Coach, we're going to show you step-by-step -step how we teach the exact same way that we do when we're in class. So you're learning the, the techniques in a natural progression and learning how to piece them together properly. Each curriculum is, we have three levels, beginner, intermediate, advanced, and then within each curriculum, we also separate it by striking, grappling, and wrestling. And generally, each month's curriculums all tie in together. So as a mixed martial artist, you're gonna be learning, you know, cage defense, followed by underhooks, and, you know, and working everything so that you're a uniform mixed martial artist. So if you want to learn more about it, you can visit ffacoach.com. We offer a $1 30-day trial, which is full access to over 1,500 videos and 80-plus something hours online just for $1 for the first three days. Afterwards, we have plans as low as $10 a month uh, to get access to all the content. We also have specials where if you join right away, you can get the Kimura Trap System for free. You can get the Switch series for free. It's a bunch of cool stuff. So make sure you visit ffacoach.com and to learn more. 
guys, what's going on? David Avalon here with Robert Drysdale for another edition of Breaking the Guard. How are you doing, Robert? Far so good, living the life. Uh, lots of work, busy days as usual. But, you know, all, more or less jujitsu related, so, you know, the life I chose. But nice. Every now and then I'll complain. I'll be like, oh man, tough day, you know, or, you know, be making some dumb complaint. I always remind myself what I actually do for a living, so you gotta stay positive. Absolutely, I know. I just been. I just moved to a new home. I'm actually That's closer right. to you now. But We're neighbors. Yeah, yeah. But uh, man, <laughs> a lot of moving. Like I have my Fitbit. It said I walked 13 miles yesterday, just going back and forth, yeah, putting quite boxes the exercise. up and down. Yeah, yeah. not fun. Um, dude, I'm down to help, man. If you need me, just say, say something. You know. I don't know. I mean, most of the work we'll is get like done a mutiny in the gym or something. <laughs> not a mutiny. Yeah. What's the word? Uh, Word for it. like a crew in the gym, just go over and help out. Yeah, no, we're pretty good now. It's just yeah. a matter of just getting more furniture. Yeah. It's a lot bigger space, so I got to fill it out, but should be fun. Yeah. But uh, uh, I saw on the news, and I guess that one of the topics I wanted to pick on was I saw that Gordon Ryan had a matchup originally with Rodolfo yeah. Vieira, and uh, he had to pull out. I, I'm not. I, I'm not sure what happened with him. I saw something on Rodolfo's Instagram page about like something that that was agreed on and it was i can't remember what the exact complaint was but it was something that changed about the agreements that they had i don't know if it was financial as far as rules time limit who knows it might have been something that they did couldn't agree on even though it seemed like they had it signed already which is right that's what i don't understand yeah like it I mean, like it, they were announcing it like it was already a yeah, thing. And, yeah and it's unless it's a really poorly written contract you know, and then they left some room for some interpretation there, and then the questions came after. That could happen, right? Let's say you write an agreement, and then the agreement is, you think that it covers all aspects of that engagement, right? And then there's always something, well, what about this? And that's not covered in the, in the contract, right? Uh, could be something like time limit, for example, or some rule, what if they go out of bounds, what happened? Or like something like that, yeah. right? Because the problem with a lot of these rule sets is that they don't think too far ahead because they have no they haven't had enough experience. The beauty of experience is that you are exposed to so many situations that you are able to, what about this? Oh, now we have to think about what we're gonna do in this situation, write it down. So if you look at IBGF's handbook, the rule book, it's not small. is because it covers every single, almost every single possible situation. And they're adding new stuff every year because every new year, there's something that comes along that goes, we never thought about this. What do we do here? Right, some unusual situation that happens in, one in a you know one in a million matches, but if it happens, you have to have it written down. Yeah, you have to be able to cover it. You have to be able to cover it, right? So a lot of these new rule sets, everyone thinks of a rule set, and everyone thinks about the points and oh, let's remove advantages or let's do remove points completely or let's give like X amount for a pass. So for that's the easy part, right? The difficult part is factoring all these other aspects that you can't, all these other things that could happen in a fight that you can't really you know you can't foresee, right? So maybe something like that. I don't see Rodolfo like not fighting. Honestly, I don't think it's his, like not because he doesn't want to. I think that there's some, disagree I mean, there might've been some legit disagreement there, but I could be wrong. I, I don't know the details. Um, and then he got replaced by Herbert. Yeah, and then uh, he also pulled out. And again, I didn't see a reason why, but the thing that made it weird <laughs> to yeah. me was that when they announced the match that Herbert was gonna come in, they uh, Gordon went on and said he's gonna pull out. I'll bet money on it. 
And yeah, then, like that, a week later, he pulls out. I'm like, oh god, it was so much worse. <laughs> yeah, but I, but Herbert has not never been like the most consistent of competitors. Like yeah. he's done things like this before. So the thing about him, he's like he's incredibly athletic. He's very gifted, but he has that other side. Like he's you know he's inconsistent. To put it like that. You know? Yeah, he's he had that incident, and in, I think that was in Brazil where he. Attack the heckler and all and that. And then complain about the knee or something and then start running, right? Yeah, yeah. He said he had injured a knee or it was like a knee reap or something. Something happened where he said his knee got hurt and then the guy heckled him and then he just sprinted and jumped across. Like them. I think he was that. fighting Felipe Pena, wasn't he? He was. Yes. He was fighting Felipe Pena and then someone in Felipe's team has said something to him and then he lost it. Yeah. Like, He's healed. It was like a miracle. So it's like, uh, yeah, yeah, quick yeah. healing. <laughs> yeah. So... That tied in, but anyhow, to me, I'm watching this. I'm like, people have the opportunity to fight arguably the best American grappler, at least Nogi and Gordon Ryan, who's the recent double champ, yeah. and they're not jumping at the opportunity. Yeah, yeah, good point. But to me, it seems crazy. Like, if I had that same opportunity back when I was competing, right. like, what, I could fight the best guy in the world and get yeah. paid for it? Yeah. Like, <laughs> Dude, like, where's this little line that I have to sign? You know, because... especially for a guy like Herbert, because I think a guy like Rodolfo's in a position where he has more to lose. Yeah, yeah, more to lose, less to gain. You know, less to prove. He's in the UFC, doing yes, well in the UFC. Exactly. So, like, a guy like Rodolfo, it's almost like he's, dude. Like, I'm, I've, I've done all these jiu-jitsu tournaments, even though he has really hasn't done that much in no gi. It's never been his strong yeah. suit, right? We all know this. I think compared to his gi resume, they're they, the gi resume far out does a no gi one. Um, but he has less to prove. I feel like for him, it's like he could, he could a guy like Rodolfo could almost look at that match and go, "Yeah, good one," or even go like, "You know what? I'm just too focused on the UFC. I'm not interested." And yeah. no one could hold it against him. No, I, yeah, yeah. I, I get the his. He's got more to lose in his situation. Yeah. He's fighting the UFC. He gets hurt. You know, and like Gordon's a good leg lock. He gets heel hook. He can't fight. That can ruin potentially ruin Take his a career. year out of his. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Ruin his career. Either. So I get it. You know, the, I, personally, guys who have good MMA careers. I don't see the reason to go into grappling. Yeah. Like, I had my guy Jason once do an EBI, and my brother was just really nervous the whole time because, like, man, if he gets hurts himself in any situation here, it's going to ruin his MMA career. You and, know what I mean? And it, he, he got in one heel hook situation where I was like, oh, my God. <laughs> Nothing happened to me. But, you know, it's like, you don't need that. I mean, you have other things going on. Why would you put yourself in risk in that? So the Rodolfo situation, I see clearly. But like you were saying with, with Herbert, He's not a legacy champion or anything like that. He's not doing MMA as far as I'm concerned. So, like, this is a good opportunity for him to rise up. You know, yeah. like, like, his stock will go way up if yeah. he's able to fight and, you know, do well or even beat, you know, Gordon. Yeah. So, it doesn't make a lot of sense why someone like him would pull out unless, of course, he had he, an injury or something. He's a bit of a head case, though, like, uh, in the sense where I think he's got a lot of emotional baggage. Like, he's very, like, up and down with how he is performing. And... You know, how he is off, on and off the mats from what I hear, you know. So, I'm not that surprised, to be honest, you know. So, yeah, it's, it's, it's unfortunate because, you know, you, like you said, you have an opportunity to fight someone who's highly qualified. You're getting paid to do it, you know. So, I think people, you'd be, you'd be hungry, hungrier to jump at the challenge. I will say this, though. A lot of athletes, you know, people think they're motivated by money. And I have a theory, and I've told this to promoters, and a lot of times promoters don't have a lot of experience in jiu-jitsu, I don't know if you notice. Like, a lot yeah, of times yeah. they come from business, you know? Like, I know business, I know everything kind of mindset. Like, you know business, you don't know cultures. The culture, I'm telling you what the culture is, right? That's what I know. And a lot of them, they're more worried about prestige than they are about money. 
I really believe that. I think that they're more concerned about their reputation and how they feel about that reputation because what they, how they feel about their reputation, they, they might be delusional too. They might think they're way, you know, like I've done so much more than they actually did, right? But how they, they, they feel like I mean, that, that emotional attachment they have to their, you know, their persona, to their character, and they may be conserving that more willingly than they are pursuing money. If that makes any sense. Yeah, no. A good I, example is like yeah. IBJJF doesn't even pay. Yeah. It's got, it's got everyone there. It's like an, another ADCC. There's no cash prize, but it's filled with good grapplers, you know, like oh, the Olympics. The Olympics is about prestige. It's not about money, right? right Although right. depending on what country you're from and what sport you win in, you're going to make a lot of money. Yeah. Just from sponsors, right? But, you know, there are probably some gold, Olympic gold medalists out there that are broke, never made a dime oh, from. for sure. I'm sure there's a few of them. Yeah, especially if you're in wrestling. <laughs> yeah. Like, and, and depending on the sport and no yeah. one watches. I remember there was this, not probably not exactly, this guy probably had money otherwise, but there's this guy in Brazil. He won like seven world titles and like, it was, like, his name was Robert something. I can't remember his last name, but like the, 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 the boat thing, the boat racing thing. Okay. You know, I don't know what you call it. Like they, 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 they catch the wind and they just try to go as fast as they can. Not windsurfing, but like on a little tiny boat. They got to stand up on it. Oh, ever I seen have it. no idea. Anyway, never heard of the guy. Yeah. But my, my point is, you know, it's depending on what sport you're in, you get zero recognition. Yeah. It's kind of like, it's unfortunate, you know. It, it is, you know. So, I mean, I, I get the whole prestige thing because that's where I'm seeing it from, right? I know, like, back when me and you were competing, yeah. a lot of times there was barely any money in it, and you're usually taking a net loss if you were going oh, out to It's an investment, yeah. Yeah. Uh, and the promoters weren't paying, but I remember one time I went to fight Dave Terrell. Mm. I'm in Miami, he's in the West Coast, and the promoter wanted to set it up, and they didn't want to pay for my ticket there. And they're like, oh, we'll give you like, I, I, it was like 500 bucks or something like that. And like the ticket was like 450. I'm like, what, I'm going to get 50 bucks? And then I had to get a hotel, and like, I'm not making any money off this. And so actually, that's, uh, was it Lloyd Irvin? Actually, so sponsored it. Lloyd Irvin's like, you know what? I'll, I'll give you the flight money. Oh, wow. You know? And. Yeah, I didn't even wear anything for him, so it was kind of a cool gesture. And that's before like we did anything together. But uh, yeah, I was fighting. I they're not for money because I wanted to prove I was the best guy. Yeah, I mean, at the time, Dave Terrell, I think he had just placed third. He had in the ADCC. Yeah, flying footlock, uh, Ricardo Almeida. Yeah, yeah, one of the most beautiful submissions to this day. Yeah. No, he's a, and he's a really good wrestler. Hybrid. When I say flying footlock, I'm not kidding here. He actually yeah. had a single. You know, he picked it up and then he jumped over belly down. Yeah. Like threw his, you know, outside leg over Ricardo's leg and landed in a straight footlock belly down. Till this day, I think that was the most beautiful submissions I've ever seen. Yeah, he was very good. Yeah, I, I've never yeah. rolled with him. I have, I've seen him compete a few times, but like everyone who's ever trained with him spoke very highly of him. Yeah, and I remember that uh, when I went there, I didn't realize how good of a wrestler he was. Because it was in Oakland, it was his hometown with Gracie, yeah. um, who's a Caesar Gracie coaching him there, and I think that I don't think the Diaz brothers were there. Maybe they were, but it was like a twenty-minute match, and then we did like ADCC rules: first ten minutes no points, and yeah. then last ten minutes points. And when I started grappling, I realized, oh, he's a really good wrestler, you know, yeah. like much more than I gave him credit for. I I didn't game plan quite. I knew he could wrestle, but I didn't. The know game him. plan was to out wrestle him. Yeah, and he was a arguably a better wrestler than me just like by yeah. smidge you know because i got a few close takedowns but he was able to escape and then i had him on one single leg and then i saw him setting up a, a scissor sweep i'm like yeah. no no i'm not gonna get flying leg lock. 
<laughs> so yeah. I kind of gave it up. He ended up winning on a takedown. But it was a good match. Yeah. You know, but he, you know, again, that was just a pres- prestige. There yeah. was no money involved. And a lot of the tournaments but, but, were like but that. But think about how the effort you went through, like the, the price you had to pay just to beat someone. And it's mostly for yourself. Because at the time, especially, there was not a lot of people watching either. Like, the public was much, like, the audience was much smaller. Like, oh, yeah. I mean, today you go on Flow, you're going to have, I don't know, tens of thousands, hundreds of thousands possibly watching you compete. You know, at the time, you, you know, you might get, you might get an interview on On The Mat. You know, maybe, maybe a YouTube highlight. That's about it. Like, they're, they're really, yeah. I mean, a good example of this, like, I have close to no footage of me competing. Like, close to none. I just never bothered recording it either. But, you know, it, it was... It was pure. It was for the prestige. I really believe that. And I think even at the professional level, of course, getting paid is nice. But I really think that the biggest motivator for fighters is prestige. Yeah, you know, especially once you start accomplishing things and you, yeah. you have money in the, the bank, you know, your motivator is going to have to be setting records and setting goals. You know, I think that's why a lot of these people are also going for like double champs and stuff like that. They're trying to cement themselves in history. Like, oh, I'm the first guy, or I'm the only guy. Yeah. To be able to do this, you know, but uh, I think uh, for, for grapplers not to be jumping at the opportunity to fight someone like Gordon is silly, you know. In my opinion, yeah, yeah I think yeah, I agree. there should be a queue of people waiting to get the chance to compete with him. You know? I agree. I think that like it was it, because the thing is, if he if he's established himself as the number one nogi uh, grappler on the planet, like you have nothing to lose, everything to gain. Yeah, you know, so. Uh, plus, I do think he's beatable. It's just, it's not like, it's not one of those things where, you know, like, oh my God, for sure I'm going to lose. I think Rodolfo or Herbert could beat him with the right game plan, with the right preparation. They could beat him. You know, I think I would still say Gordon's a favorite, but yeah. I think he could beat him. They could, either one of them could beat him with the right mindset and the right game plan. Um, but I, I think it's, yeah, in the Herbert case, it's like they just chose the wrong guy. Honestly, is not a good replacement. Uh, and Rodolfo, I don't know. I don't see Rodolfo backing out of a commitment, man. I just don't see out of unless it's something that they really couldn't agree on. I don't. See, I don't think it's anything. Whereas Rodolfo getting intimidated, I think once he put his name there, I just don't see that being the case. No. Yeah. Well, I mean, hopefully someone else steps up to the plate. You know. What, what is that for again? I can't even keep uh, up. It's. The West Coast yeah. Grappling. Uh, East Coast Grappling. East Coast Grappling. I think. Yeah. East Coast Grappling, yeah. They've been putting, uh, I guess, bigger events now. And I mean, I think it's great. You know, like, I'm kind of envious of yeah. all these guys now. Getting paid well. <laughs> Getting paid well yeah. and just more opportunities. Yeah. Like for, at least when I was competing, that to be able to compete against world-class guys, I had to wait for ADCC. Yeah. Because that was you know, really the only no-gi Big level tournament. Big level tournament. Yeah. Everything else was Nagas and Grapplers Quest. And maybe you know. one tough fight. Yeah. One, one, you know, you had to, like, good guys in these competitions, but there wasn't, like, you know, like a, a, a big, you know, roster to choose from. No, you weren't uh, getting, you know, like, any, obviously most of the best grapplers were coming from Brazil back in the day. They're not going to fly to Naga, New England to yeah. compete. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. why? Yeah, you know, so like you would have to wait for like a big world championship, and ADCC was the only one that had that pull. You know, in the last few years of my career, I only competed in ADCC. It's like well, I compete once every yeah. two years, you know, because there was nothing else really worth competing in. But now, I mean, you can 
There's all sorts of things yep, going on. Yeah, I think that what's been going on, and like, I don't know, we talked a little bit about this before, Dave, but I want to touch on it again, is the, this, this push for making jiu-jitsu professional. Yeah. Right, which I think is great. I just wonder how it's going to coexist with the amateur aspect, which is successful. Yeah. No one disputes that running tournaments is successful. I mean, it's, there's not a lot of organizations out there, but the ones that do exist are doing fairly well. Yeah. Mainly IBJJF. Like, they, they, know, they clearly... Naga, they do. Yeah, they Naga. Like, they, they, they yeah. hit the nail on the head, and they have, and they have a little recipe for, uh, um, for success, you know? The question is, can professional jiu-jitsu replicate that? That's an interesting question, because when you really think about it, a lot of these events, they, it, they're there's artificial money being injected them to get the, get it going. It's not For organic, sure. right? So they, I don't know, like, I, th- I feel like this is how I feel about investors. No matter how much money you have, there might be a time you get tired. Yeah. You know, like, the Sheik's been doing this for almost 20 years, over 20 years now. Yeah. I think this was the 10th edition of ADCC, I believe. And they started in 1998. So 11. 11 ADCCs now. Is that right? Well, like the first few years, they were doing it annual. So it yeah. was like 98, 99, 2000, 2001. And then yeah. after that, it went uh, by annual every two years after. Yeah. So yeah, there's over 11, I think. Yeah. Oh, it would be 11. This year would have been 11, if yeah. that's the case, right? So the first one was 98, 99. And after that, it was... Well, 98, 99, 2000, 2001. Oh, okay. So 13 Four. then in that case. Yeah. And then, yeah. Okay. So, you know, they spend a lot of, you know, over the years. I mean, it's, it's chic money. Yeah. Right. This so is it's barely... Like, but it, I will yeah. say, I, this is my the thing about money. Like, no matter how much you have, if I took a dollar out of your pocket every day, you probably it wouldn't make a difference in your, in your income. Like, you're not going to be poor if I took a dollar from every week, right? Or every month or every day. But if I kept doing that over and over and over, it might be a point where you just go like, all right, man, I don't want to give you a dollar anymore. Yeah. You know, because it's, the, 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 it's, it's very artificial, like I said. Like, you get a guy who loves jiu-jitsu and he's injecting money into the sport. And that's great. And we're fortunate. It changed my life, changed your life. It made everyone's life better. So thank you. But I don't know if it's realistic, if it's sustainable well, long term, you know, yeah. because it might, it might, the sheep might change his mind tomorrow and go, nope, no more. I think in his case, we'll probably won't see that just because he's got such silly money. There. Well, someone will buy he it. Has, he someone would buy it in a heartbeat. Yeah, and yeah. he has a club there, and they, I know they, they're teaching it to these kids there. And so, like, it's more, I don't think he was going into it to try to make money. He obviously doesn't need yeah, to, yeah. you know what I mean? So it's like a pet project, so he can keep that up forever. But regarding businesses here in the U.S. trying to do that, it's a different story. I think yeah. they're trying to, either they're going to try to write it off as a loss and maybe, you know, counter something else or or what. But it is a lot more challenging if you're trying to make money off of this yes. professional basis here rather than just, some pet and project. They, they, they wear themselves out too because what happens is it's not just the money. Let's say you're losing a quarter million dollars on a show, which is not a lot. They're probably losing more than that a show, right? Once you fact, because production is very expensive. People don't realize. And we, we organize that Black Post CBD. I'm telling you, it's the, it goes up very quickly. Everyone thinks the prize money is the big thing. <laughs> That's a third of the yeah, expenses, yeah. like not even. You're talking about tickets for everyone, uh, hotels, uh, staff. You're talking about you got to hire people to do your social media. People that edit stuff, you need lights, camera, like we're, it goes into the hundreds of thousands. Very, yeah, especially very when you're doing the live streaming and live streaming, yeah. like your crew's yeah. gotta be, you can't ha- hire amateurs. Yeah. You gotta hire good people. And these people are not cheap, yeah. right? So you got all these moving parts. And then 
you know, it's the amount of work that goes behind coordinating all this. So you're going to get a promoter who's working 15 hours a day for months. And then at the end, he's in the hole. And he's like, you know what? It's the first one. Just getting the business started. Two years later, he's still not pulling in a profit. And then it's like, all right, how long do I want to do this for? You know, and it's a very difficult model to, to make successful because it is the, 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 the BJJ audience is a spectator audience. They like to watch, but they also like to practice. Yeah. So it's difficult to get people to pay for something that they see every day on the mats. Because the truth is, they watch people roll every day. It may not be world-class grappling, but if you're training jiu-jitsu every day, every day you watch people roll. So it's not as exciting to see. You yeah. feel like it loses some of because it's a practitioner sport. It's very different from football fan. Yeah. Who's never played football, but will watch football religiously. Yeah. So that's the great difficulty, and you can see that there's a movement trying to change that. You see, like, there are certain grapplers that only compete at a professional level. They won't even step foot unless they're getting paid, you know? And I think there's some merit to that, but at the same time, you know, you get your credentials not from, not from, I think that you you got to be in the competition circuit, either IBJF or ADCC or something, right? Because that's where you're going to get most of your credentials. Otherwise, you end up being just... I'm going to market my, my way into a super fight, which is, to me, it might be the shortcut, but I don't think you're, you're going to walk in there with very little experience, and that's a big part of the problem. You get people coming to, in, from tournaments, they're going to have like three, 400 matches by the time they make it to ADCC. If you're only doing the professional circuit and you don't have that competition experience, you would have like 20, 30 matches. Now that counts. That leaves a lot of room for error because you yeah. haven't competed enough and that's why I like tournaments so much for learning, especially because it's like three, four, five matches, sometimes six, right, for you to win. Whereas a super fight, you get the experience of one match. And it's yeah. not the same. No, it's very different. You know, I was fortunate. I came up through wrestling, so I had a lot of experience early in. And every time you could compete in one match and feel good, oh. but then the next match, how are you going to feel? Yeah. And the match after that, and yeah. the match after that. You know, like when you're doing four or five matches in a day, it is definitely a different mental challenge and the way you pace yourself and the recovery is important, you know? Yeah. Like, so yeah, uh, to me, that's why one fight is easy. Yeah. I, yeah. I, I, it's, just, it's weird because like, if I agree with you that one fight is easy in the sense where you're only beating one good guy. Yeah. Your mission is to beat one good guy. Whereas a tournament, you're going to have five. Now, like, I feel like all five are going to be like high level. Whereas maybe like 10 years ago, maybe... Out of those five fights, like three of them were going to be wars. Maybe two were going to be wars. You have like like two or three easier ones, yeah. right? Uh, but it's uh, it's it's still the, uh, the 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 challenge of of like I said, like pacing yourself and like everything from the long day, so you're going to yeah. be exhausted. But I always struggled more with super fights. I'll tell you why. Warming up has always been the hardest thing for me. Get my body going. Like everyone's like, oh yeah, I warm up before, but it my body always takes a long time to wake up. You know, so tournaments, a lot of times, if I had an easier first fight, that was perfect because it's like a, like a good warm-up, yeah. you know? And then, like, match two, three, four, and five, I was flying. Like, I've done 10 matches in a day, and I felt great by the end of the day. I felt like a million dollars. It's hard to explain. But I just took a long time to warm up. When I fought Jacare, I barely warmed up. That's like they, they kind of dropped it on me because I was supposed to fight on Sunday. And I showed up on Saturday just to watch the matches, right? And they're like, oh, you're going in, like, 30 minutes or 20 minutes or something. I'm like, wait, it's going tomorrow. And then, you know, they changed it on me last second. And then it's not that they give me two, three hours to warm up. It's like, get dressed and go. I'm like, what? 
and it was kind of like a rush. They really rushed me, and I didn't warm up properly, right? So the first 10, 15 minutes of the match, I'm gassed out. I'm just like just trying to hang in there. But towards the end, you can see Jacare is slowing down, and I start picking it up. Like I, my, I feel like my body's waking up, and my, what I actually prepared to do, I was actually coming into it, and I started feeling better. Like towards the end, I actually believe had we gone over time, I would have won that match because you could see him slowing down, and I was starting to wake up. You know, and that's why I, I always dislike super fights because it's always been harder for me to warm up. Mm. Even though, you know, as far as winning goes, it certainly is easier because it's only one match. one match. And you know who you're going against. There's no unknown variables. Really. Yeah. Yeah, the, that's, I guess in the jiu-jitsu world, the warm-ups is always tricky. Like, for, I know my brother and I, we always warmed up like wrestlers. But you learn, you learn yeah. that from wrestling. Yeah, though. in wrestling, yeah. the warm-up is... You'll see the beginning of every wrestling tournament. Everybody's doing a similar wrestler warm up, running, circle, four rolls, they do yeah. shots and stuff. And the rule, at least for me, was you have to be sweating before you can stop. And you have to break a good sweat. And then the, the additional thing I would do, I need to get to the point where I'm breathing heavy and then get over it. Yes. Right? So it's like if you ever start running, usually yeah. begin to. Yeah. <laughs> and then that once you catch up now it's an even cadence right yeah. and now okay that means you've gone through that first win and you're in your second win now you're ready to go so anytime we competed my brother and i we would warm up and i remember when we do grappling tournaments everybody's looking at us like we're we're freaks because nobody everybody else yeah. is just doing the little leg rolls and yeah that stuff yeah. <laughs> and uh you know we were going nuts you know and that's where the the, the experience of wrestling comes in because you have you know decades of government money being dumped into these tournaments where you had a lot of smart people that actually did some measurements on finding out how you performed when you were warmed up and when you didn't yeah and the difference is massive right oh, like huge. it's it's i always hated warming up because it's it's like you you're, you're tricking your mind i'm like no i'm not gonna you have to lie like you have to convince yourself that you're not gonna gas out because you know you're gonna not gonna gas out but you feel like you are if you get breathing heavy before you have even start you're going whoa i don't want to get tired now but it's a misunderstanding of how the body works, and that's yep. the thing. So I'll try to explain as best I can, because I've actually done some study on it, because like, this always fascinated me, and I want to understand it better. But basically, when you're resting, let's say when you're asleep, there's very little brain activity other than when you're dreaming, you're, right? you're in REM sleep or whatever. Your heart is moving, pumping blood, obviously. But all these little muscles in your hands and in your legs, they're not necessarily getting a lot of blood, maybe a little bit of blood, because you're not using them. And your body wants to save energy, obviously. Your body is like... Why burn more calories than I need to? So it will do the very minimum to keep itself alive unless you start demanding that it does stuff that requires more calories, right? More energy. So what happens is all these little muscles are not getting the right amount of blood and oxygen. So imagine a tournament where you go from that where your organs are getting blood, your brain is getting blood, but all these muscles are not irrigated. So what happens? You go from that to trying to, and all of a sudden, because you're using all these muscles, your muscles have a huge demand of oxygen. You're like, give me more oxygen. You're using me, right? And that that the, uh, the irrigation is not there because you actually haven't started that blood flow into all those muscles. So as a result, your body starts releasing lactic acid, which is like a reserve tank. Your muscle runs out of oxygen. It starts releasing acid. Acid is just to make up for the fact that the oxygen is not getting there fast enough. And then that's where you get that taste in your mouth. You just got to spit every 10 seconds. You might feel a little sick in the stomach. I used to feel a little sick in the stomach. Your muscles get really pumped. You can barely close your hands. 
And basically like a body is kind of like warming up a car in the winter or kind of like, you know, motocross, like before yeah. a race, they just let the, the bike run. It's kind of what you're doing. You have to make sure that every little muscle in your body is getting enough blood and there's, there's a, a flow of blood to those muscles. So when nerves, those muscles are requesting oxygen, the delivery is fast because the blood's flowing fast through your whole body, not just your organs, not just your brain, not just your, you see what I'm saying? Like yeah. the muscles need that oxygen. And I think that's when I started telling myself that, and that was towards the end of my career when I understood this, it started making a lot more sense why I warm up hard. So my criteria always was run out of breath, accelerate my heart rate. I was measuring my heart rate at one point where it's got to go above, you know, whatever, like a, not like exhaustion capacity, but uncomfort, yeah. whatever that, I can't remember what it was, like 60 for me maybe. I think that was like the, the, the mark, maybe maybe 150, I can't remember now. But I do that for only like 10 seconds, and then I just move around for a couple of minutes. And then I do that again, right? Try to get that burn, and then like rest for another two, three minutes, just moving around. But always like get that push, because I'm letting my body know I'm about to perform at this intensity for 10 minutes straight, Yeah. right? So it, it made a massive difference when I did warm up. Um, it's just that it's, it's hard to have the discipline to do it if you don't have the culture to do it, like you got from wrestling, for example, or a coach yelling at you. Which helps. Yeah, well, having both is <laughs> what wrestling's about. <laughs> Coach yelling at you, but uh, yeah, I I would use those, and I also use mental devices as well. Like uh, I forgot where I learned this, but I would associate colors with a uh, state of preparation, right? So okay. I think of like a traffic light. Yeah, okay. red, yellow, green, right? So. I kind of actually had them in reverse. <laughs> red is go. Red is go, right? <laughs> but I would say... That's going to mess up how you drive, man. <laughs> Start fucking with yeah. yourself. Because <laughs> uh, to me, I was thinking what colors are relaxing to me. Yeah. Blue and green are relaxing to me, yeah. right? So I would think uh, blue would be I'm going to sleep. So in my mind, I would just see blue and then sometimes I would do imagery like I would see oceans or rolling waves and Okay. So I'm, I'm in a tournament. I don't have anything going on for a while. I'm going to go blue asleep. Green, I'm awake, but I'm very relaxed. Yeah. Yellow, I'm warming up, right? So, and I yeah. see, like, to me, I see flames. I see fire. I'm, I'm warming up. Oh, wow. I never thought about that. And then when I'm about to step on the mat, like, engage, I go red. And to me, that's blood. I'm seeing fighting. I'm seeing yeah. carnage. You know, and the very last thing before we shake hands or they're going to ring us in for the fight, just blinding white. And to me, that's just to clear everything off my mind and then boom, now I'm fighting. Did you come up with that yourself or did you read I, that? that I, know, recommended? I, I can't recall where I, I learned that from. I'm not sure. You know, it wasn't because I had wrestling books. They didn't cover that. I don't know if it was a, a Deepak Chopra thing or. Yeah. Or what? No, because that was way before I started reading. I don't know where I got that from, but yeah, it's, I, uh, I would use that those all the time. And I find establishing routines when you compete is so important. It's like we I think we talked about this, but like for golfers, the main thing is establishing a state of mind every time they're going to swing. Because once they have the perfect swing, it's not just the physical part of it, but yeah. it's also what's going through their head. If they can replicate that, then it's like they get the same swing every time. It's yeah. going to be perfect every time, right? So like an association, right? Yeah. Like, yeah, I see what you're saying. So like for me, if I can ritualize my warm up, then 
if I have a great warm-up, I will get that great warm-up every single time. So I know that's not going to be an issue. Because right? you're right. Like some people, when they're not confident, they, they're doing random things every time they warm up. It's like a crapshoot. They never know how they're going to end yeah. up, right? And you don't want to be going to competition and about to compete and not sure how you're feeling. Yeah. Like you want to be 100%. Like, that's the one thing I always felt grateful for. Like, I never felt like I had crap warm-up, you know? Yeah. The only times I felt like I didn't get warm-ups or, like, ideal recovery was for ADCC because in the absolute divisions, you don't get any rest. It goes pretty quick. It goes really fast, yeah. you know? Like, uh, it's not really fair. No. <laughs> they just Some people get out. much bigger rest than others, too. Yeah, it yeah. just depends on where you are in the bracket and how many overtimes you pulled. Yeah. And I know, like, I've had the misfortune of when I went with Zanja, triple overtime, and then... Sh- Right off the mats, it was yeah. Yeah, <laughs> right with you, you know what I mean? It's so like, they don't give you the luxury of, of choice there. Yeah. I remember you had the same thing because our match went overtime, and then they were spitting you out right into yeah. the match with Gaval. Yeah, yeah. And that's, Wait, when I, it, that's when I gave you that Gatorade. I remember now. I forget. You gave me a Gatorade. I was, I was about nice to him. drink it. I'm like, this guy's the nicest guy in the world, man. We just went to war here. And he's giving me one of his Gatorades for my next match. Like, most people would have been like, few, man. Like, yeah, I was about to drink yeah. the Gatorade. And he was running around. Like, oh, yeah. I'm like, he probably needs it more than me. Right, that was very nice. And I remember yeah. that. Uh, but, man, like, going back to that, uh, that color thing you were talking about. Man, that's actually really smart. I like that because I, I play tricks on my mind every now and then, like similar things. I can't think of an example now, but like I'll do like little things about um, trying to think of something like for sleeping, for example. Yeah. I'll, I'll, I will imagine like waves, you know, they, they, they help me relax, right? If I want to take a nap or, you know, before I, I train, what I've done is I would imagine myself walking into the tournament when I was walking into the gym. Yeah. I'd picture myself walking into the arena. It's like I'm trying to get myself like a little hyped up, you know, a little nervous. And but I like the color thing because if you can keep making that association over and over and over, I think it's a way of alerting your body on a very deep level, not just a superficial level. You know superficially, right, you're gonna you're about to fight. But on a deeper level, you go so you're preparing yourself for battle, right? Like you're really getting red. I like the red. Now it makes sense why you flip the, yeah. the order of the lights. It makes perfect sense. Yeah, red means blood. And then white, yeah. I, even, I thought you were going to stop at red. And you were like, white, I want to get everything out of my mind. I'm like, man, that's even better. Yeah. You just clear all the BS out of the way and just focus on the mission. I see like all the imagery. I see like blue, I said oceans, waves. Green, I see like a pasture, rolling hills. Yeah. And I see myself propped against a tree in the, in the shade, you know, relaxing. Kind of living like you live now. Yeah. <laughs> Exactly. Two more years. And then yellow is I said fire, heat, yeah. blood, and then your white. I almost sometimes imagine just like Gandalf the White when they had the the beam. Yeah, blinding. And he turns into Gandalf the White. Yeah. Yeah, and right. he has this yeah. blinding white that just obliterates everything. That's kind of like right before we're about to go. Good. Right be the bell. Boom. And it's crazy how like the mind really. Everyone's like on the. It's all mental, and like it, it is. It really is. It's just it's the same things about the mind are so hard to control. Like, I don't, um, I've had very few instances in my career where I felt what we describe as being in the zone, mm. you know, and being in the zone is not something you can force yourself into, I don't feel like, no. but, but I've had moments there, and I, I can count like a handful where I just, like felt invincible, and it wasn't just that my body was responding, I was warmed up, that helped a lot, you know, my body was awakened, you know, I felt like the blood flow was going, because I was in shape, I feel like I can wrestle for an hour, you know. But it was, I think the main thing was like this sense of supreme confidence. 
Yeah. Like if I fight this person a thousand times, I'm going to win a thousand times. I remember the first time, maybe the earliest memory of this was I was in the final of the IBJJF Purple Belt World Championship. It was my first final at the IBJJF level, right? And I'd done really well. I'd won all matches pretty decisively. And I remember when I got to the final, like a lot of my friends were trying to like give me advice on what to do and, you know, trying to massage my neck, massage my form. And I'm just like, trance. I'm not even listening to what they're saying. I remember them talking to me. I can't remember a word of what they said because everything they said was just, it doesn't matter. You know what I'm saying? It's almost yeah. like, I know they're trying to help me. And I don't want to sound, you know, mean or anything, but like nothing they said at that point would have mattered. They could have been trying to put me down too. It wouldn't have mattered. Like in my head, I already won. Yeah. You know, like in my head, it's like, that guy with it, down. there's no way that guy can beat me. It's just impossible. And I believe that. Like deep, deep down, I had, in my heart, I knew I already won that fight. And everything just flows. Like everything just exactly the way you want it to go. And it's very difficult to put yourself in that state of mind. You know, I wish, yeah. I, I wish there were a little switch and I can be in that state of mind every day of my life because it's such a beautiful place. Well, but very it, few times. Yeah, it is, like what you said, a good way of describing it, a state of confidence because there's a lot of times I've competed very well, right? And, but it's different when you have that aura, right? I felt that one time in particular was in that 2009 when I had it. In the first day, I submitted the first guy in heel hook in three minutes, and then I submitted um, what was a Tarsus like in three minutes. Got him with that one arm choke, and I was right then. I was in the zone. If they would have had the whole tournament that day, I would have obliterated everybody. Yeah. I was really keyed in. I remember I was bummed when I'm like, "Oh, there's only two matches they won." I hate that. I'm like, "Oh man." Like, I know. I prefer a long one. Because I remember Galvao was my next match, and he just had a war with. Uh, Chris Weidman, or Weidman. Yeah. And he looked terrible because he was just gassed out of his mind. I'm like, oh, I'm going to eat him up, man. Like, yeah. He's got no chance at this point because he can barely move. And that's the year he won and the then, like, open. oh, he's got a dead every cup. Like, damn it. <laughs> that's the year he won the Open, right? No, no, no. It was, uh, he ended up taking silver. No, Brawley. Brawley won the Open that year. Brawley right. won the Open. So it would have been. He got triangled by Brawley in the He got final, triangled right? by Brawley. That's right. Yeah. First triangle, yeah. Uh, that, but, I, it, it's, it's, I know you're talking about because I, I feel the exact same way when I have to do like half and half and I'm like this is BS like just didn't get them all out of the way I feel great right now yeah because I, I was in the zone right there I was like man I'm, I'm dialed in feel excellent um, submission game was really yeah. strong and then the next day I wasn't there anymore yeah. I, I still com- trained competed very well I mean I almost caught Galvao with a Kimura I'm in the heel hook and he, he, he edged me out with a sweep and then I got Lovato, I beat Cyborg. So I had a good run, but I wasn't in the zone, right? I yeah. wasn't in that supreme state of confidence. And, like, I guess what happened differently, my sleep was a disaster. That night. I, when I got, I'm not sure it was a mix of anxiety or the weight cut. Yeah. Because the weight cut for that 2009 was brutal. It took me, like, four hours and change. I was yeah. literally the last guy to weigh in for that uh, tournament. And I remember the ADCC officials were all upset because I was holding them up. And I was like, I weighed in at the last possible second. And I, I had to do the headstand trick. And yeah. <laughs> which people say, oh, it doesn't work. Like, well, it worked wait, for wait, me. Wait, it? Let us know. What's the trick again? Okay. So I was doing sauna, sprint, yeah. steam bath, everything. And I started from 201. And I got down to like 194 or point yeah. Oh no, 194.3 or something like that. So I need to be 193 and a half. Yeah. But I just ran out of time. 
Yeah. So like, okay, we went downstairs with my brother and my brother. I told him count for a minute. And in wrestling, they have this white old wives' tale where if you do a headstand for a minute, you can shave off a pound. All right. And I always thought that was retarded because right? I'm like, <laughs> it makes absolutely no sense, right? Like, there's no science behind that. Like, what's happening? Like, gravity's not just gonna. Who know. thought of that for the first like the first person to think of that? That's what I'm. But curious. I know people anecdotally <laughs> yeah. that have done it, and they said it works. I'm like, I have nothing left to lose here because if I'm gonna so do a handstand for a minute, I do a handstand for a minute. I remember my brother's counting the time. And I think it was Lubo. He's like, what are you doing? No, 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 get on the scale. That doesn't know anything. And then my brother is just like stalling. So I'm like, just holding my headstand. And he's like, a minute's up. Okay, I get up right away. I had to get naked, step on the scale. And then I see it goes 193.2. Get out of here. Point four. And I just step on the scale. All right. Okay, because the weight's just I don't know. (laughs) And then he's like, okay, but the... The headstand didn't do anything. You were already on weight. I'm like, I don't care what, the, <laughs> what it was. But I'm I trying mean, to think of an explanation here. I can't like, think of if, if either maybe you drip more because you're upside down or because the blood goes to your head. But and when you stand, your feet are lighter. No, but you're all still on there. I, it it, it, I, yeah. I can't. I, if it does work, I, I you got to put some thought into why that is. That's interesting. I've never, I've never even heard of that. Yeah, so I don't know if it was just coincidence or weird chance or what, but it seemed to have worked. But anyhow, I made the weight there, but then I... You ever try the credit card on the skin? Oh, just to wipe out? Yeah, yeah because yeah. I used to have like albaline all over our skin before weight cut. Yeah. And, you know, like that's, that, that weighs. Like that's on your skin. Yeah. Right. So, because especially because it seeps into your pores too. So you want to get that off before you, you stand on the scale. So we just like scrape our skins with a credit card, and just get all that sweat and albaline off. And man, you shave a lot of it off. Yeah, I was there with who was it? Tom Lawler. Yeah, he yeah. was making way for the ACC. So yeah, we both albalined up, and then just trying to. I was yeah. doing. It was getting desperate there because yeah, four <laughs> four hours doing sauna, sprints, stairs, steam baths. It's a uh, but to me, it was again, it wasn't a question of if I was going to make it. It was just a matter of when, right? I just needed to make it before the deadline was up. Like, yeah. That's why I don't get people who, like, they break in the wake up. I'm like, bro, that to me, it's weak sauce. Like, yeah, you, you made like, it that far. Yeah, you know what I mean? Like, I don't know. Like, I, I really want to fight. You know what I mean? It's like, yeah. weight, losing it, weight is not an issue of, like, I don't know. I, I can push myself. It's, it's hard, though. Like, I, I've had moments there where I'm like, Man, I don't know what dying feels like, but it must be something like this. <laughs> Maybe like this is what death feels like, you know? Because you can barely stand. Like, not everything just stops working. Your brain's not really working well anymore. Like, your muscles are so weak, you can barely hold your own weight up. It gets really uncomfortable, man. So, I, I, I'm two minds about the weight cut, man. I actually like the way... The way their UFC does it now is way better. They weigh have an official weigh-in in the morning and the, the weigh-in for the fans. Yeah, they give them is, more recovery time. Yeah, yeah. basically more recovery time, and you can... Uh, yeah, cut in the morning and not not a show. It's just you know you just have more time to make weight basically. Yeah, and it's uh, the thing I like that. Um, the other thing is ADCC like does the weigh ins like a few hours before. Now how does it work again? Yeah, well I think it was. That. So what happened was yeah. again about my story. I was that ADCC. I think I influenced it because yeah. after that they made the same day weigh ins. Yeah, and I think it's because I stalled them. For so if hours. anyone wants to blame someone. <laughs> My bad. <laughs> yeah. Um, so after that, day one when I competed, I told you it was in the zone. But then like day two, 
just I but, couldn't I couldn't sleep. Like my mind was just racing and my heartbeat. Yeah. Like a uh, You're like excited. A, excited. My legs were all tight and like that's what I noticed more than anything. My legs were jacked. And now I'm thinking, oh, this I was doing so many sprints and stuff, like for the weight cut, maybe it just hit me now. Yeah. You know, because honestly that day didn't really put that much bad time. It was yeah. just six minutes total. You know, so like I guess it was just late hit on the soreness because my legs were just like twitching the whole time and they couldn't stay still and my mind was just constantly racing and I was visualizing the match with Gabao like a million different ways like how it would play out and how I was going to win and like uh, I tried to sleep I tried to force myself to sleep I couldn't I was up the whole time so I'm like I, mean, I, I kept looking at the clock it's like 1 a.m., 2 a.m., 4 a.m., 5 a.m. Oh, that's I'm the like, worst, man. I'm like, well, I guess I'm up. <laughs> and, and the other thing that sucks, too, is if you have, like, a little... If you have an injury or something, like you hurt your finger, which is very likely to happen in a match, mat burn, something, yeah. right? If you're warm and you just won two fights and you got to go again, you don't feel it. Yeah. You just go. Now, if you go home and you cool down and you ice it, maybe, next morning you're limping. Yeah. You know? Like, so you're not the same. How do you warm up when you're limping? Like, it sucks, right? So it does take away a bit from your steam. Yeah, you know? I actually do think it's worse. Like if I could choose as a competitor, right, I would much rather get all my matches done in one day. I actually do believe it's easier. They, yeah. they made it, they, they cut it half and half to make it easier on the athletes in theory. But this is like my beef with a lot of promoters. Most promoters don't have any competition experience. I suspect that if you ask most competitors, they would all say, let's get it all done. Let's get my whole division done in one day and maybe the open the next day type thing, right? I really think they would say that. Uh, I think few people prefer to do two and two. Yeah, know? I think the, it kind of depends on how your draw was, right? Like on that day for me, I had two quick matches. I got two finishes right away. So yeah, put me up for the rest of the matches that day because I'm fresh. Like you said, I'm essentially warm. But if I had like, the triple overtime and a double overtime, and then I'm going to face the next guy, uh, maybe I want some more recovery. Yeah. You know? <laughs> because putting like 40 minutes on the mat, and then I'm facing the guy that just did six minutes, yeah. he's going to, just by science, he's going to have more energy than me. Yeah. He's going to be able to outlast me or do better than me. Uh, it just depends, I guess. But two matches seems like very little. Maybe do like at least three and one. I don't know. But then again, yeah, they say if you're in the zone, man, you want to do everything. Yeah, I, I've always done this. One reason I've always preferred I like tournaments more than, than super fights because a I think they're more prestigious in the sense where even though it's funny because like you get more notoriety out of super fights, but like to me, it's like tournaments are way harder. More tournaments fights. are way harder because and, yeah, it's a it's a good amount of chance in there, and like to be able to get through, you have to do really yeah, well. You got to beat four, five, six good like high level guys, right? Yeah. But it was so, it got, the matches got easier as they went on. Mm. Like the final, I always felt great, you know? It, to me, like that, the biggest challenge always was the first fight. If I had a tough first fight, that sucked. And it happened a lot of times. I lost my, I lost my, if I had a really tough first fight, like sometimes I'd lose because I just kind of, I never, I never figured out how to warm up my body properly to, towards the end of my career. Because, and this is a deficiency of BJJ in the sense because it lacks the, 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 the know-how and the experience that sports like boxing and wrestling and judo have. And I, I'm convinced it's because of that government funding into what? Into hiring the very, very best people and having all this methodology and all this experience that it's a selection process, right? You end up with the best methodologies. Like coaches yeah. over the years, they all reach the conclusion that what? Well, if I warm up really hard, my athletes, they're going to perform better, right? Whereas BJJ never had any of that. It's very... It was very amateurish in a lot of ways, 
Um, and it's, it's changing. You can see it becoming more, it's becoming more professional in that sense. But, you know, I, I wish I had, like, learned how to warm up sooner, you know, or at least understand the importance of a hard warm up. Because I was that guy just kind of like, like 10 jumping jacks and moving my neck around a little bit, you know, like yeah, yeah, 360, five times each side, I'm good to go. I was that guy, you know, and it's, it, it's a horrible idea. You really got to break a sweat. Yeah, I had guys who would say, like, cheetahs don't warm up. I, I, I've heard that, man. Like, he was like, a lion doesn't warm up to hunt. And that was like, why didn't warm up? And I'm like, yeah, but that's true. The lions don't warm up to hunt. Yeah, but they're not also, a lion. <laughs> like, it makes you think a little bit. Wait a second. Is, does he got a point? Yeah, there's, there's two things to that, yeah. right? One, yeah, you're not a lion. Yeah. And two, he only has to sprint that one time, and that's it. And it's done. And it's yeah. done. Uh, right? The wins or loses. Yeah, the no, wins or loser, that's it, right? It doesn't have to fight five times, ten the, times the a day. duration is also really small, right? Yes. Like sprinting animals, you're talking about a chase that's maybe a minute or two, and then they're done. Yeah. Right? So, and and generally, it's, they don't, they're not endurance animals. Like, the gazelle or antelope will outrun them over time. So, they have to be close enough to them to get that quick sprint and beat them. There, otherwise they're, they're toast. So I don't think that's a good model if you're trying to say you want to be an endurance. Like if you're out there to finish somebody in two minutes, okay, we, then maybe you need to warm up. We compare ourselves to animals all the time, and then people like you know they, they ignore the genetic aspect. I, I was watching that documentary a while ago called Game Changer. Did you see it? I haven't seen it, but it's on my I, list. It, yeah. there's, there's a lot of good info on there. Of course, we should eat more greens. I think we all agree to that. But then like it's very unscientific. They claim to be scientific, but there's a lot of some of it is just like, come on, guys. Like, really? Like, it's, I was a little disappointed. I heard some people spoke it up. Like, they were spoken very highly of it. But they're literally, like, drawing conclusions off, like, evidence of, like, three. There's a sample of three people. And then they draw in, like, scientific conclusions. Yeah. Off, like, that's not how it works, man. Yeah, like, I was reading this morning, actually, about alkaline water. Yeah. Right? Because I want to get a water filter from your home. And I read all this stuff about alkaline. But then when I was reading, there's no research on consuming alkaline water yeah right and it's all just like and there's all sorts of crazy promises that people are giving like oh, oh no, it's gonna it's, remove it, this but you like you gotta it, spin it to make money man yeah but it's just like a, it seems like a scheme because they reinvented water yeah it's smart water you hear that yeah yeah As smart water, water yeah. Yeah, the cajun water is a bunch of different filters but pretty much yeah. what the at least research scientists were saying is that your body is not going to really change its alkalinity you know, or acidity based on the water you drink, right? Yeah. Like, essentially, from my understanding, yeah. all the function happens in your kidneys. Yeah. So unless you have malperforming kidneys, maybe if you have kidneys that are not working well and they're producing too much acid, then maybe drinking alkaline water will help. But if you're a normal, healthy human being, you're not really doing anything. You're just paying for yeah. expensive water. It's not going to hurt you, but it's not going to really... But see, like, yeah, this is like your body's got its thing. And like, we, I think we, we believe that the outside has a bigger impact on what's going on the inside. I think it does, but it's like it's less than what we, yeah. the health industry would have you believe. Yeah. But I remember the documentary that at one point they're saying, like, this is their argument. This is how dumb some of that stuff was. They go like, oh, well, gorillas only eat fruit and... and <laughs> Oh yeah, because we're just like gorillas, right? Like, and it's like, but they're arguing that gorillas are the strongest animals on the planet. Therefore, if I eat bananas and apples all day, I'll be fine. You know, I'm just as strong as a gorilla. Like, it's like, let me start eating not how it works. Let me start eating hay, and I'll be like a horse. Yeah, exactly. It's, it's almost like you don't really. But it's when you first listen to that, you're like, oh, it makes perfect sense. Gorilla is the strongest animal on the planet. Therefore, you know, if I eat like it does, I'm just gonna be so strong. Then he's like, wait a second, like. 
genetic setting is completely different. Yeah. You know, like it doesn't work that way. But, you know, there's, I think there's a lot of mythology in the industry. And that's like, I'm always, I think I advise people to reach it, uh, to approach diet very skeptically. There's a very good website. It's called examine.com. Mm. I don't know if it's examine or examined with a D at the end.com. Okay. One of the two. I can't remember now. But it's a nonprofit. <clears throat> all right, they make it very clear. This is all scientific research. We're not looking to sell you a product. We're not selling you a diet. We're just giving you the research. And they basically they digest the research for you because if you don't want to read 50 papers. Yeah. Because they're heavy. They have to be heavy reads. Scientific papers are meant to be highly informative they're not like they're not your article on menshealth.com you know yeah so but they but they basically what they do is like they, they they analyze the evidence for you and they go like okay creatine and then they'll give you like creatine has had x amount of papers to support it the evidence is very compelling i think they have a rating too like from how how uh how much does the evidence back up the claims of creatine for mm. example or i remember one that i was i, I i'd taken that supplement before tribulus to hestris Terrestrials, it's like it's supposed to boost your testosterone. Okay. And it's like an African little root and it's supposed to, you know, increase your testosterone. And a lot of there are a lot of supplements. It's a very it's a natural rule. There are tons of supplements. And I've just, you know, researched out of curiosity and I remember the data was like fifty fifty on it. Like the studies weren't very conclusive. There's some evidence for it, but it was very and after that I was like, huh, oh, I'm not taking that stuff anymore. Yeah. You know, I was like I'm not spending my money on that anymore. But it was almost a way of like, if you're really into something, it's like saving money because there's a lot of stuff out that they they make these outlandish claims and you just want to believe it. It's almost like a placebo thing. For sure. Ah, this is this product going to make you 10% faster. So you want to believe that, so you buy it. And maybe the placebo is what you need. The placebo does work. We know that. But I, I recommend this website. I mean, if you guys want to check it out, examine.com. And it basically, and you can type in just about anything, glutamine. Like, there's tons of like data on glutamine, for example. Like, it backs it up, right? Yeah. And then there's a lot of stuff out there that, you know, people take on a regular basis that the data's like that doesn't work at all. Yeah, it's it's interesting how people put their agendas over the actual science, right? Like a lot of people are saying, oh, red meat and processed meat produces cancer. And there's no research that shows that. Yeah. You know, <laughs> there's one guy going as far as saying actually red meat is probably the healthiest thing you can eat because it has all the essential amino acids and proteins in one place, yeah. you know, but that's not very popular with people now, you know, for whatever reason. But, but like, that's why one reason why doctors are so unpopular in this day and age is because a lot of times they're reminding us of the truth. I mean, yeah. they're the most knowledgeable when it comes to these things, they're the most knowledgeable people out there. There's a reason why they study so much to become a doctor. But the health industry, they clash a lot with doctors, I believe, is because it's like, oh, they don't know what they're talking about. Oh, the science thing. I remember, I've, I've literally had people tell me, oh, the science thing, you know, like, as opposed to, uh, like, what do you prefer? What, what is your suggestion? What do we replace it with? <laughs> mysticism, you know? yeah. Yeah, mysticism. And, you know, but they, they get a bad rep a lot of times because they're just very cynical about health. And I think that there's a lot of wishful thinking when it comes to it. And I think we, people don't realize how much better we are doing now than we were doing 50 years. It was like, oh, oh everyone's got cancer and, like, you know, autism's on the rise. I'm like, these things were just misdiagnosed 100 years ago. Yeah. They were around. We just didn't know how to diagnose them. You were just... You're autistic. You're just crazy. Throw you in a madhouse, and you know if you're dying of some illness, they misdiagnose it as something else. It might have been cancer, and but the truth of the matter is, we're living a lot more than I think. The life expectancy in the U.S. is something like what seventy three for men. Yeah, it's way up. It's yeah. high. Like just a hundred years ago, it's yeah. probably like fifty something. Yeah, we're doing way better. I was, we're doing way funny. better. <laughs> we're, I was just talking to yeah. my girlfriend about this. 
because uh, she was watching some TV show and the actress, and she's like, "Oh, how old do you think she is?" Yeah. And uh, I'm like, "Oh, she's probably in her, you know, mid 40s." And she's an attractive yeah. lady, you know. So and she's like, "Oh, she she is she's 47." I'm like, "Yeah, she looks her age. She, she, you think she looks 47?" I'm like, "Yeah, because nowadays we're living longer, you know, like." People oh. look a lot healthier later in. Yeah, you know, maybe some of his cosmetic surgery or whatnot. But like overall, like I remember when I was, you know, a teenager, fifty years old meant uh, gray hair and big pot belly because yeah. that was my grandfather, right? Yeah. So he, you know, he looked old. So remember, that's fifty years old. But now fifty years old is Joe Rogan. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. or like The Rock, you know, like the I think Are really fifty. Yeah. I think Crazy. Joe is like fifty something. He's like mid fifties, and, and The Rock is also. I think er, I think he's yeah. fifty as well. So you like, look good. Yeah, you look better than most people. Yeah, do. I know, man. Like, I, I'm not thinking. <laughs> yeah, so, I don't know if I'm gonna get. I mean, hope so, but yeah. So yeah. like you know, like I think our life expectancy expectancy has improved as well as just like the living standard has improved. Oh, like 100%. people. Are, are feeling better they're more active yeah. more physical later in their life you know so to me i think that's definitely shifted and for the good and a lot of stuff people are like oh everybody's having cancer or whatnot yeah you know at a certain point you have to die of something as well you know like if you die yeah. of cancer when you're in your 70s it's not like oh tragedy struck him it's like no i mean you're gonna die of heart failure you're gonna die of you know something you know and and yeah. the way we're going i think we're gonna keep increasing i wouldn't be surprised if life expectancy 50 years from now is 100 years we're going to yeah. be living all the way to 100. I think that's actually realistic. You know, we're, we're figuring out ways of, look at stem cells and what that's doing for your body. And yeah. I, I think eventually they're going to figure out cancer. They're going to figure out all these things and how to make cells recover faster so you can live longer, right? Yeah, they're going to push the envelope more. I, I think there are two things here. One, yes, I think people tend to be very pessimistic and people like to complain. They like to blame something. This is why... My grandfather died in 94. He didn't eat enough vegetables. He was 94. No, but he had more vegetables. He would have lived to 100, you know. Uh, and then there's also, like, we should not use that as an excuse to say, all right, what the hell, what the hell? you know, I'm just going to live a long time. I don't have to take care of my, of my body. You don't have to watch out for your health, you know, because you can, you can swing the other way. And it's like, guys, it's a balance, you know. Like, I, I believe in eating healthy. I just don't, you know, you got to live. I mean, it's, it's not... I eat in and out every now and then, so what? You know, like, you know, I think some people expect because, no, I'm not I'm retired now, but even as a competitor, I was eating pizza every now and then. Like, it's not, it's not something you can't. I've seen people perform at a high level and not yeah. have that Nazi diet. Yeah. You know, like, I've seen it. We've all seen it. So it's not one of those things where you can't. I think it does matter, but it's not like it's going to change everything. Yeah, I told you, I told you, like the guys from 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 Dagestan, like between wrestling, uh, the, the wrestling, the the break in practice. Yeah, they go outside and smoke a cigarette. Oh yeah, yeah. It's a thing. Like they light up a cigarette and they're just like you know smoking a cigarette during wrestling practice. Yeah, like, yeah. best wrestlers in the world. Yeah, they were yeah. saying I've heard people when I was in camps and I was at the University of Minnesota, yeah. which they had you know uh, Brandon Egum and a bunch of other world class wrestlers, and you know, they would tell stories. You know. Russian wrestlers, they were smoking cigarettes in the Olympics. Yeah. You know, it's like, yeah, what? No, I, 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 yeah, a friend of mine, he was, he, he told like Satyev, like yeah. one of the best wrestlers of all time at the Wrestling World Championship, like smoking a cigarette outside in between wrestling matches. Yeah. You go outside, smoke a cigarette, go back in, win another world title. So I'm not saying, <laughs> kids, I'm not telling you, sh I'm not telling you guys to smoke. smoke. That's not cigarettes. the advice. <laughs> My point is these things are real. They do impact your performance. We know that for a fact. 
but it is exaggerated. It's not like, you know, if you, you know, it's not the, 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 the game. I think the what you do and how you prepare yourself and how you prepare yourself mentally, these things are yes. pretty, the, the big decisive factors to me. That's the most important part. You know, I'm not recommending you smoke, but it, it goes, goes to show that there's a lot more going on than just your actual health. For sure. You know, right? there's a lot of moving parts in when it comes to winning. Yeah, I think when it comes to diet, like you said, some people think like, oh, you have to be extreme in this, like, oh, you have to be vegan or you have to, you know, raw diet or you have to do keto. And it's like people are jumping to all these different extremes. And I don't, th- there is many people who've lived to be past 100 that had weird diets or just normal diets. I remember yeah. that the one guy was eating, you know, his toast with bacon fat and smoking a cigar and drinking whiskey every yeah. day and perfectly lucid doing gardening and stuff well into the hundreds, you know, right. so according to the diet experts, he should have been dead at 50, you know? Yes. So it, I think the thing that makes the most uh, impact on you is your stress level, yeah. right? People who have great stress management skills, I think tend to be healthier because stress does affect your immune system, right? If you're very depressed, you're more likely to get sick. Yeah. You know? People who Cortisol. Yep. Exactly, and you you have people who are in high stress situations, like they have all these bills they have to pay, and they have to support the family and all this, and they're getting sick all the time. It's you have a lot of stress on you, and it's wearing your you don't body sleep out. Well, you don't sleep well, right? Which is another huge thing. Sleep is the healthiest thing you can do in life. Yeah. Is sleeping. If you're an athlete, don't let anyone tell you that sleeping is bad or like you're being lazy. Sleeping is about the healthiest thing you can do. Yeah, I know a lot of people like, oh, sleep is for losers, or you got like, <laughs> no, no, you know, it, it's like running. The way I think the best analogy is like a battery. If you're not recharging your phone battery, it's gonna die. Yeah. It you don't, you're, it doesn't matter how cool your phone is. Yeah, <laughs> with no charge, it doesn't work. It doesn't work, <laughs> right? If you're not sleeping, you're not getting charging. You're you're gonna fall apart. Yeah. You know, because not only is it recovering and essentially resetting your body, it's also resetting your brain. Like, uh, I remember they did studies with this, and there's a reason why the human sleep cycle is what it is, like eight hours. And, like, for example, cats sleep super long. They're like, it's, I think it's like 16 to 18 hours, what a cat was sleep for. It has something to do with the neural pathways, and yeah. essentially it has to flush. And, like, the smaller those pathways are, the longer it takes, you know, and it requires more sleep for those animals, you know. So it's an essential process. It's not trivial. And, mm-hmm. and I think these are the things that people put less focus on, but they're far more important than the stuff that people put this hyper-focus on. You know, yeah. like diet is important, but what we're describing here is far more important than yeah, diet, in my sure. opinion. Yeah. Uh, the sleep, the stress levels. And it's interesting about the stress levels because it's something I've become more and more, um, um, realize over the years, the more sensitive to is realizing how important it is that someone's personal life is on track for them to perform well. Yeah. And people think, oh, they're not, they're not, they don't really, of course they'd relate. Yes. It's, it's your mind. Like if it's on, you go to practice and you're thinking about your bills and you're thinking about, you know, you gotta, you know, you got in a fight with your girl or something, or maybe you lost a lot of money and you're stressed out. Maybe a family member died. These things occupy a lot of your thought process and they mm-hmm. raise your cortisol levels, which actually harms your performance. Cortisol harms your performance. Yeah. Right. hundred percent. So, you know, it's, it's, it's difficult to change these things and make sure these things are in, you know, they're geared. But I actually, I'm a strong believer, man, that if you have the right support network around you, whether it's your wife, your girlfriend, 
or your husband, or if it's just like your family and your friends, and that is a happy environment, and these people are there for you when you need them, you're there for you have that sort of like happy social network, right? Yeah. That is as important as like the preparation, man. Because it, I, me personally, like I've done best in competition when my life was everything was was clicking. Yeah. You know, like that's that was my best. When like looking back, those were my best performances when I was like happiest with the people. Like every time, like if if there's not the not right people are not around you, like and I give this advice to my fighters. I say this with like and I and I mean it. Like find the right girlfriend. Yeah. Find the right wife. You know, for my guys I and mean, for the women, I advise the same thing because it does make a difference. For sure. You brought the wrong person, they will. They'll go out of their way to boycott you and pull you down, and then you get others that lift you up. You know, you get these both things, and it depends on the kind of person you're around. And and that goes for everyone in your life, your coach, too, your training partners. This is why I, t- I reckon when people, I'm the f- one of the few business owners, I've actually, when people walk through the door, I tell them, hey, man, do you check out other gyms? I don't have a problem with that. Yeah. Because I like them, I, I want to make sure I get the right people. Because sometimes the, the person who walks through the door is not the right fit for the gym. You know, like, I mean, I actually tell them, like, I mean, you know, I don't have an issue if you want to try other gyms, you know, but this is the thing we're most proud of in our gym. This is the culture, and this is what it's like. And, you know, it's important because if you're going to be good at jiu-jitsu, you want to be around people that you like. It's hard to be in an environment, even if the, the training partners are really good, where no one likes anyone. Yeah. It's not, sure. it's not a positive environment for learning, I don't believe. So to me, that, that environment is as important as my, the level of my training partners. Yeah, you know, it's the common saying is that you're like the, the average of the five people you hang out with the most. Right? Yeah, I love that in, one. In every aspect, financial, you know, social. Everything. Everything, right? So if you're hanging around with a bunch of people who are very negative and depressed, chances are... Even if you if, weren't. If you, you're if you become, weren't, you're going to become you're that. You're going to become Yeah, that. because initially you might have some impact on them to yeah. uplift the spirits, but it takes a toll on you and it starts pulling you down, you know? So you... It sounds kind of mean, but you got to separate yourselves from those type of it, people. It, you know what? I struggle with that because there's a part of me that feels like I have to help them. Like there's a part of me yeah. like, oh, I want to help that person. They're struggling, you know, like, but the thing is like some of these lessons, you, you can't help people. They have to learn on their own. Like there's some people that literally by trying to help, you're actually stopping them from learning. I've reached that conclusion. Now when I see people like that, it was before I like jumped and tried to help. Now I'm like, you got to learn that on your own, buddy. Like I'm not going to, I got my own problems. And I and I've and it's been a good thing. It sounds selfish, yeah. like you're saying, but like it actually is a good thing because you are actually helping them. Because when you keep you're giving them that, you know, you keep giving them feedback, even though they're you know they're being assholes all the time. Yeah. All you're doing is reinforcing the problem. Yeah. They don't learn that way. You think that by being nice, they're gonna learn. Sometimes you just gotta let people go and go. Hey, man, you know, you learned that lesson on your own. I'm out. Yeah, you know, it's kind of. I posted a, a blog about this where. You know, like I, we talked about this too, that unfortunately most people only learn when they hit rock bottom, right? They have to get all the way to the bottom and then realize, okay, what everybody had warned me about could happen, happened. <laughs> and now I felt the pain of it. Yeah. I'm ready to move forward, yeah. you know? So like I said, like a, a smart person is able to learn once they've hit that bottom and make a change, right? A smarter person and learn from somebody else telling them, hey, yes. this could happen, you know? And then the smartest people can think of the situation beforehand and realize the consequences of what they're doing. Yes. You know, so, but if you're, at, at least if you're smart, you'll, you'll, you'll bounce back. You know yeah. what I mean? Like, 
a lot of people fear like hitting the bottom. You know, it's not the end of the world. You can get back up. You know, but it's just a matter of I, I, being uh, able to make that turning stone. But like most people, if they don't hit that bottom, they stay where they're at forever because they're unable. Like you're saying, you can't pull them up, right? Because they're fixed where they're at. But then they're not going any lower. They're not going down. So they're just stuck forever in the same spot without it being able to change. Yeah. You know, like, and there's a, I think it's a matter of just essentially they're in a box, right? And whatever thought patterns they have, behaviors, uh, they're staying in that same thing. So they never grow. Yeah. Right. And a person, if you want to grow, you have to expose yourself to new things. You know, that's when people say you have to step outside the box, right? Because you have to expose yourself to new information so you can build up off that. You know? Yeah. It's like if we did jujitsu and me and you rolled exclusively with each other forever, we would get better marginally, but without outside influence, we're gonna have like a very stale game when we start competing against other people. You gotta be exposed to information, yeah. And challenges, yeah. And you gotta challenge yourself, and you have to be willing to take, you know, and criticism is a form of outside information, right? So when you try to help people and they're not taking it. You know, you can keep forcing it down them, but like you said, it doesn't really help. You know, like they have to, you can only go so far to extend help to somebody before yeah. it's useless and you're and just then, wasting and your time. Just, and then you have the people that are used to having people pull them up all the time. Yeah. They play the victim and then that's their default setting. Just like always, hey, someone lift me up. Yeah. And then that's why they're not actually improved. Because like you, re you reach roadblocks in life, right? Yeah. And it sounds cliche, but it's so true. You get a roadblock, a problem, kind of trauma, anything, right? And then you either use that to go, oh, the world's mean to me, right? I'm a victim, you know, I can't, you know, this is horrible or, you know, and then they just kind of use that, they just stop. Or you use that as an opportunity to like, what can I make a, something good out of a bad situation? Like, what, how do I use this to improve in some other way? Kind of like when you're injured, you go to the gym, can't use my knee, I'll work on my arms or yeah. something like that. Like, there's always something, you, you try to, you got to learn how to turn a bad situation into a positive one in any way you can. And then you just focus on improving. And next thing you know, that roadblock is way behind you. But I think some people get stuck. And, and I've, I've dealt with a lot of students. Like, if they don't do well in tournaments, it's always someone else's fault. Yeah. Yeah, and it's hard people to deal with because I'm like, I'm watching him. I'm going, I don't know how to help this guy. How do I tell him that it's his fault that he's losing without being an asshole? And sometimes you just got to be that guy. And I've been both. I've been the guy, like, let him discover that on his own, and they don't. And I've been the guy who's blunt, and I'm too blunt. Oh, like, oh, why are you talking to me like that? I'm like, oh, I'm not just trying to offend you, buddy. Like, I'm actually trying to get you to learn some accountability here. Yes, yeah. you are losing because you are making mistakes in a match. Things that we've talked about, and you, maybe you're not understanding the rules. And But if there's a tendency and that a lot of people have to just always blame everyone else. And those are the people that get stuck. They just don't get better, man. And I think it's it's one of the best traits a fighter can have is to have accountability. For sure. You messed up, even if it was the weather, man. Like, don't blame it. Like, you can't focus on the focus on you. Focus on your preparation, your your you know mental, physical. Focus on your diet. You can change your diet. Like, focus on these things. But like, there's like there's a theme that exists. I feel that people always blaming the, the people around them. That's why I didn't win because of you. Yeah. Yeah. And if that person is that negative, you just got to cut them out. Like I said, yeah, exactly. sometimes the person is like, like and then you, you know what? If you have to, the maturity, having the intelligence and maturity to go, you are a negative influence in my career. I need you out. Exactly. And even in that, that is your fault because you've 
allow this person to be in your circle, yes. right? So like taking ownership of the the problem, you gotta say, well, okay, I gotta divorce myself of this person and introduce perhaps more positive people, you know? And um, yeah, taking ownership of everything that happens in your life is the most empowering thing you can do. Most people don't like it because increased responsibility is generally frowned upon, right? People yeah. don't wanna, oh, like they'd rather just shed blame onto, you know, whether other person, boss, and not on them because their ego is too fragile to handle that. Yeah. Right. But if you can allow your ego to subside and say, you know what, by taking responsibility for all these things, that in turn gives me power to control all these things. Yeah. Right. Because you're like, oh, you know, this person's fault. Okay. Now I take that person out of my circle. Oh, you know, the weather's bad. Well, I'll bring an umbrella next time. You know, like, you can solve these things if you take ownership of them, but the moment you give it away, now you're powerless. And like now you essentially yes. you you've allowed yourself to play victim, right? And the victim can't do anything; they're helpless yeah. by by virtue of it. So you know, it's, it's funny. I got that my daughter's the other day. We were eating breakfast, and there was like a muffin that was sitting there for like 15 minutes. No one touched it. I'm like, I'm the guy before we leave the table. I'm like, someone's got to eat it. Yeah. Like no matter how full I am, someone's got to eat. So I ate it. And then my younger daughter started crying. I'm like, I wanted that muffin. <laughs> and she started like, and I'm, I knew she was full of it, yeah. you know, but she was just playing the victim. Yeah. So she started like, you know, acting all like victim. I was like, oh, are you a victim? Are you? Oh, let me film that. So I started filming it, right? I actually posted it on my stories a while ago. But it was something like, oh, let's practice that victim face. And my other one started laughing. Okay, let me have you practice your victim face, right? So I turned it into a joke. So now I, I kind of try, if I catch them trying to be victims when they're full of it, I make fun of them. And then after a while, they start laughing because they know they're full of it. They're yeah. like, okay, dad, you win. I'm full of it. You know, I, and I'll catch them like, oh, I really want to be a victim. Okay, be a victim. Make, give me that victim face. You know, but I think that, it, it, you know, it's not all situations should approach it this way. But to me, it's something that you have to make the other person aware of the fact that they're acting like victims. They're not actual victims. Right. You know, and it's a hard thing to do because I think we all have that tendency. I'm sure I've done that a million times in my life without even being aware of it. Yeah. Where I was playing the victim and I wasn't. Uh, but it's, you know, a, that's why I like to surround myself with people that are constantly nailing me with the truth. Like, it's just the truth the whole time. It's just like, this is what it is, Rob. And not yes, man. And it's a hard thing to do because people are constantly, you know, they, 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 they think that they, you want to hear what you want to hear. Or I just want the truth. So I try to surround myself with people like that. And those are the ones that are going to tell me when I am, you know, when I'm just full of it. Yeah, you know, and I, I like that as a coach. I try to be like that. It's caused me a lot of problems because, like I said, a lot of students don't like that. They don't want to hear the truth. They want to pat on the back all the time, you know. Whereas I prefer to be the guy that tells them bluntly, like, "This is why you lost." Yada yada yada. This is why you're not. Oh, Rob, am I going to win the world championship? I'm like, you got to train more. Yeah. They don't like to hear that. They want to hear, "Yes, you're going to be a world champion." You're training twice a week, bro. <laughs> I, you, I'll lie to you, but I don't even say you're not good when I say you need to train a lot more. Yeah. You know, but even that right there is not the answer they wanted. No, you, I, I'm, I feel the same way. Well, I think most people are so worried about stepping on somebody's toes that they're like, uh, I better just say the sugar-coated response, yeah. right? But when you are able to let your ego step out of the way, then the more information you can get, the better. And accurate information is the best type of information, right? Because if you're giving me bogus info, now I'm believing this lie you've created and I might be constructing <laughs> on top of it and it's going to fold like a house of cards when it yes. implodes. Like you're telling me, oh, 
you know, David, you're going to be a world champion even though you train once a week. I'm like, oh, okay, great. I'm going to book my ticket <laughs> to here. Keep it, keep it consistent. <laughs> keep it once a week. Yeah, I'm eating my cheeseburgers. And, oh, <laughs> what happened? How come I lost? It's impossible. And I'm like, no. Coach, like, yeah, then, yeah. It's, then it's the coach's fault. Yeah. You know, because coach lied to me. But it's, it's hard, man, because it takes a certain level of maturity, I feel like. And some people are less prepared for that, I feel. Um, We've been conditioned yeah. to, like, to be... Like to have a stigma with failure, right? Like that's why I feel like I don't like the school system grading because it's like, or we're just not pre-framed properly to it. Like where if you get like an F or something, or if you try something and it don't work, it's like, oh, you're stupid. You're this and like that. And then everybody shies away from that. You know, like whereas now, like I don't mind being called stupid if I was stupid, right? Like if I made a bad move, you know, oh, you know, I tell people like of the blunders I've made in my career and, and, and love life or whatever. I'm like, well, now I learn from it. It's yeah. not like, and people are like worried about showing that because it, it's like they're making themselves so vulnerable. Yes. But the reality is everybody's made those same stupid mistakes. Yeah. Like, especially like when you talk about relationships, everybody has made yeah, re- the most ridiculous yeah. things possible. You, learn, yeah. like, you know, every, I think every man has made himself a complete fool in front of a woman yeah. at one point or another. You know, I'm sure the vice versa. Yeah. So it's like, but yeah, a lot of people play it under the vest. Like they act like they've never been uncool in their life you know it's like of course you're lying to yourself (laughs) exactly of course you have you know like and exposing yourself first of all it's funny it makes it makes good conversation when you expose how stupid you were at some point and then two maybe you help somebody else because they might be going through that situation and they're hiding it and they realize oh i'm not the only guy who's been like this you know i think we've been we're living in a society where we're conditioned like you said not to fail and we're conditioned to always feel good always be happy everything's always got to be perfect and i think that social media plays a role here because no one posts pictures when i put when i travel i only post the nice pictures it seems like i'm having the best time in the world no i never post pictures of me sleeping at the airport or me missing a flight or them losing my luggage right so a lot of times the perception is not is not reality right it's not always as fun as it looks but i think that because this it reinforces a conditioning that life has got to be absolutely perfect all the time and life is not meant to be perfect supposed to be hard you're supposed to struggle a little bit and like dealing with failure is i you really got to look at it sounds cliche but it's so true you got to look at it as an opportunity to grow like what can i learn from this what did i do wrong and then you learn a new lesson and you're a better person the next day uh but like it, it really is a, a we really i really feel like we're conditioned to always like be everything's got to be feel good you know i want to pat on the back all the time i want to live on the beach i want to and that's great, and you have, everyone should have dreams and aspirations, but you, you should learn how to deal with problems, learn, like, almost like look for problems. Just like when you're in the gym, you look for the best guy in the gym. You don't yeah. want to train with the people you know you can beat. Exactly. To you, me, like sitting by the beach and doing nothing all day is the equivalent of in the gym only training with the white belts. Yeah. You know, you just want to win and feel good. I'm like, okay, that's great. You know, winning, feel good, feel good every now and then, but if you're really serious about improving, you chase the best guy in the gym, and that's who you try to beat. Yeah. You know, like I look at my life in a similar way. I'm like, what is the next challenge, right? Though I do enjoy relaxing, I get bored very quickly because I prefer the challenge. Yeah. You know, and I and I've conditioned myself to this too because it wasn't I wasn't always like that. Like I in my head I was going to retire at 35, 40 and be rich and live on. And like now the idea of retiring from work is like sounds like hell. Sounds like I I don't have zero aspirations to do that. You know, like I probably going to work myself into the grave. And I like that because I think that's how I grow. You get better by posing challenges to yourself. Yeah. 
That's why people climb mountains. Yeah. <laughs> you didn't think about yeah. it. What's the point of climbing a mountain? Yeah. Like the view? You can get a picture. You can probably helicopter to the top. Exactly. It's, we really, I mean, as, as, as humans, we, we enjoy performance. We enjoy um, solving problems. Yeah. You know, I think about what, what would heaven be like? You know, like no zero problems in heaven. I'm like, I don't know. Like, I might be bored. I, I'm not, I don't know. Like, what, yeah. I, I enjoy problems. I think we, 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 we want these things thrown at us so we can solve them. Correct. It's yeah. a very animal and human thing to want to resolve conflict. Yeah. Right. And that's why, to me, that idea of retiring is, a, is an illusion in a sense that if you literally do nothing all day, you're going to waste away and die really quickly. Yeah. Because without a purpose in your life, like you said, that the human body is a smart, energy efficient machine and if you're not doing anything it's like everything just starts retarding right like, like why bother yeah yeah you're, you're yeah. not using your brain you're not using your muscles you're not using anything you're just going to fade away you know so i mean you can retire from a nine to five but then maybe you pursue another project like a, a personal yeah. passion of yours yeah, that maybe like, you yeah. you haven't had the time but don't think like because i my grandmother she passed away um she kind of was old school, reared all the children, took care of them. But once everybody fled the nest, yeah. she never did anything with herself, right? Like, she, you know, and she had to be entertained. Like, you would have to do something for her. She, she has to be the person, like, you know, cooking for the whole family. Or, right. Or, like, taking care, like, just doing something. Right? Yeah, we would, with all the kids would try to coax her, like, hey, you know, she was a very good cook. You should maybe make uh, pasta sauce or something like that, and we can bottle it, we can do something with it, but never wanted to do anything. And, Fortunately, she she kind of faded away at the end, you know. And yeah, I felt like that might have been just a function of just not doing things. Yeah. You know? Like if you're watching telenovelas all day, there's very little brain function required for something. Yeah. Like that. You know, like you got to put yourself out there and and make moves all the way through. It's you know? funny that the purpose thing. It's the purpose can be just about anything that you know that moves you. You know, for sure. like emotionally. My great grandparents in Brazil, they're like very healthy people. They worked their whole lives. My great grandmother. She was 92, or my great-grandfather was 94, wow. right? And he passed away in 94. He got like, I don't even remember what he passed away from, something, right? And then, yeah. I, I kid you not, it was something like like three, four months later, she passed away as well. Yeah. Because, you know, her purpose in life and his purpose, like it, they were both like, you know, that's why, yeah. they, exactly, that's why they made it that far. But once they didn't have one another, the other one's like, at no point, what am I doing here? Yeah. I'm out. And it's it's funny. Like I don't, I can't. You know, I don't. I don't know how this works, but I think your mind just kind of gives up too. Yeah, your mind just kind of goes like because I think you're fighting to stay alive at that point. Every day is a struggle, just to get your functions going, right? Like your brain, your heart. Like every, it's 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 a, it's an incredible amount of will to stay alive at that. I imagine, right? And you lose motivation. What am I doing this? What's all this struggle for? Like pointless. Yeah, it's exactly what you're saying. You need. Uh, a purpose to struggle right yes. and if you know if your grandparent your your great-grandmother whatever she was already 92 all of her children are healthy and everybody's okay like why am i in this yeah. why am why am i putting myself through this you know at a certain point because you know, life is suffer yeah. you, there's there's a lot of pain in life you For know sure. physical emotional and yeah there's got to be a reason why you all do that like there are days like i want to pull my hair out at the gym like the stuff that happens and the stuff that i got to deal with yeah like you know and then these are the things that make it exciting they, they, they make you want to keep pushing through but yeah i i I, wish, I really wish more people looked at these things differently you know and 
I mean, go and bring him back to jujitsu. Just looking at your the difficulties as opportunities to grow. Like someone's guard, you can't pass. For example, you can't pass this person's guard. You should be excited about that. Look at the levels of guard passing you're going to have to reach that you have the opportunity to reach inside this gym, right? To be able to pass that person's guard. Like, look at how much room for growth you have instead of going being frustrated and I can't pass, you know. But it depends where your heart is. Because some people, like, they'll, they'll reach a roadblock like that and maybe their passion is something else. But to me, like, jujitsu was always that thing. Like, I would literally look at things like, go, I can't finish this person. I got to finish him. I got to finish him. I got to. And then I catch him finally. Got him. Got to catch him twice. You know, yeah. and like, I, I, I would play these little games with myself to just try to always, you know, push myself to the next level. Um, and it changes, you know. Like, now it's, I'm less worried about tapping people. I'm more worried about, you know, growing the team and, you know, growing my business space and, you know, just other things. But, yeah, the challenges are, I think that they're really what make us stick. Yeah, and I think that's a, a good point for us to, to close on. You know, that you definitely need to have purpose in your life. You need to seek out those challenges. And like you said, if those are challenges that lie in with your passions mm. and what you're working for, you should be welcoming them because those, like you said, are opportunities to grow. Otherwise, imagine if you're playing a video game and you've already beat the game a hundred times. Every time you play it, that game's going to get boring. You yeah. know? But like, if a new level comes out and now you're struggling with it, now you have something to wake up to and like, okay, how am I going to grind this guy out? You know? So yeah, if you're, if you're facing people and you're always smashing them, it's boring. Yeah. You might think, oh, I wish I could do that. But if you're there, maybe the first day or two is cool. But then afterwards, like, yeah. I need something more. I, and yeah. yes, I, I agree. My happiest days in jiu-jitsu as far as like was when I was a purple belt and I was aspiring to be exactly where I am now. And that was, it's hard to explain, but it's actually, it was more exciting. Yeah. You know, and then when you actually own your own gym and you're a black belt and whatever, you have titles and you go, yeah, I got to do this stuff. It's, it's not the same. You know, like it was, I think the aspiration is really the best part. You know, it's just like the dreaming and then the, overcoming challenge by challenge every single day aspiring to something right um anyway dave i had a lot of fun um hope you guys enjoyed uh this was episode what 17 17 17, that's right yeah Yeah, pretty quick well i hope you guys enjoyed share it with your friends and uh yeah we'll see you guys again soon take care thank you for tuning in i hope you guys enjoyed our conversation and as always Subscribe to our podcast, whether you're watching YouTube, iTunes, Google Play, or wherever else. You can visit BreakingTheGuard.com, and we have all the different links that you can join. And please, if you enjoy the conversations that we have, share them with a friend. That way we can expand our reach. And if you guys have feedback that, or you have questions that you would like us to answer on air, just send us a, a message. You can find us on Instagram, Facebook, and pretty much everyone on social media. Or you can send an email to david at breakingtheguard.com. A final word from one of our sponsors, which is the Kimura Trap System. The Kimura Trap System is, of course, my famous, world-famous course that covers every way to use the Kimura imaginable. Now, a lot of people mistake what the Kimura Trap is, and they think it's a particular position. But really, when I created the term Kimura Trap back in 2007, it was to describe a concept, and that is using the kimura as a grip instead of just as a submission hold. So when you 
have this revelation that the Kimura not only is a powerful submission, but it's also the most powerful grip in combat sports, then you can, of course, leverage it to do just about anything. You want to sweep somebody, take them down, pass a guard, reverse them, go into a dominant position. All that is possible and more when you use the Kimura trap. And the idea behind the Kimura trap system is to show you a step-by-step progression from start to finish how to use that Kimura all the way through. And again, it works for everybody, whether you're a bottom player, a top player, you're big, you're small. You know, it, it doesn't really matter your skill set, your body shape, or your fitness level. Everybody can learn how to use this whole. It's one of the reasons why I love teaching it, because I can do a seminar and everybody in the seminar gets it. If I was teaching something like rubber guard or triangle chokes, all the heavyweights and unflexible people would be out of the loop. You know, so everybody can base their game around the Kimura trap system. Very effective, easy to learn, whether you're a white belt or you're a black belt. I guarantee you, you're going to learn something that you didn't know about the Kimura. So go ahead. You can visit KimuraTrap.com to learn more. We offer free videos uh, so you can get a sneak peek into what the whole system's about. And then you can, of course, order. We have it in both DVD and online streaming formats. And that's over 11 hours of content. So it's a lot. (laughs) It's the biggest course online, I think, period, of any Kimura course. And uh, to top it off, if you're still not sure after getting some of the free videos and you're not ready to make that order, you can get our demo DVD, which is essentially the first 60 or so minutes of the course. And that's only $7 for instant online access. So go ahead, visit KimuraTrap.com to learn more.